Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illnesses and lay, laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And now Wayne's going to come and, and speak to us. So I'll, just, I'll just pray for you, Wayne, before you start. Father God, thank you so much for Wayne and for the time and, and preparation that he's put in during the week uh, to bring your word to us now and we pray that you would speak through him speak clearly through your word today and help us to have receptive hearts amen good to see you good afternoon who is jesus uh, towards the end of the passage we read that the news about jesus was spreading maybe people were asking this question who is this jesus and we read later in the Gospels, Jesus himself asked his followers, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question? And don't just think about it, I'm gonna give you one minute, turn to the person next to you, who is Jesus? What is your answer to that question? Give you a minute so you can both have a turn. If you want to call out a few answers, a few possible answers, there isn't just one right one, don't worry. So have a go. Son of God. Son of God. 
Any others? Christ. Loving Heavenly Father. Most wonderful person in the world. We're in a church, so I'd expect those are all brilliant answers. Uh, they're not the answers everyone gives. Uh, we're going to watch a video now of people being asked on the streets this question Who is Jesus? So as many of you know as well, uh, my job is I'm National Director of Cross Teach. We Christian schools work, we go into schools teaching about the Christian faith. Again, it's a, it's a question that comes up often when we're in schools. Who is Jesus? We get all kinds of answers. I think kind of we could summarise them uh, outside of church, hopefully. But we could summarise them. A myth. Lots of people would say he didn't really exist. Just a myth. Or just a man. Nothing extraordinary. Maybe he's a good teacher, a religious leader, uh, maybe even a magician doing all those weird and wonderful things. Uh, but probably if he thought he was the son of God, he was deluded because he's just a man. Very occasionally, someone might say something like the Messiah or the son of God. Isn't it amazing? A man who lived 2,000 years ago still proves to be such a mystery to so many people. I think it's amazing because when we look at today's passage, I think we're going to see the clues for his identity are really obvious. <laughs> it shouldn't be a mystery to anyone. We don't only just see his identity revealed, we also see plainly what his mission is. And having discovered his identity and his mission, we're left with one question. How will you respond to Jesus? Uh, there are loads of things we could, do. we could talk about. Healings, demons, there's loads of things we could really get into. But I think, these, for me, these were the three key things from the passage. What is the identity of Jesus? What is the mission of Jesus? Uh, and what should be our response to Jesus? I think it's helpful to remember where we are in the story before we get into the passage. I think it's a bit like where we are in our calendar. Christmas already seems a distant memory. Maybe you've packed away the tree and decorations, I hope so. Has anyone still got a tree or Christmas decorations? No, good. Uh, you've taken all your unwanted gifts to the charity shop. Uh, and we're so far into you, you've probably broken any New Year's resolutions you've made. Christmas is behind us. And that's where we are in Luke's Gospel. About 30 years, roughly, from the birth of Jesus. That Christmas story is just a distant memory. We're into the early ministry of Jesus. He's been baptised, 40 days in the wilderness, rejected and forced out of his hometown, Nazareth. And so we pick up the story, he's moved on to Capernaum. And we see straight away he does exactly the same thing as he did in Nazareth, going to the synagogue on the Sabbath to preach. 
Not surprising, really. He's gone to where God's people meet together. The people who should recognise him and the people who should be expecting him. And he brings alive the scriptures as he teaches them. And through this, and then what follows after, we'll see his identity revealed. He'll tell us what his mission is. And through the passage, we'll see different responses to Jesus and hopefully see which is the right one. The clues are obvious. It kind of, when you've got a mystery and you've got clues to solve, it's good to have a good detective. Helpful. But I think this is so obvious. We have less need of Sherlock Holmes. We could probably just rely on Scooby-Doo. It's pretty easy. Uh, it's there for us in the words. The demons tell us who Jesus is. The Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. Not left guessing. It's really obvious. And there's no reason for us to think they were confused or they'd misunderstood who Jesus is because they already said who they, he is. They know his identity is Jesus of Nazareth. So these spiritual beings know the earthly identity of Jesus and his heavenly identity of Jesus. If you read those statements, surely you cannot think Jesus was just a man, just a good teacher. These spiritual beings knew and recognised Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But did the people recognise who he is? Uh, we read that Jesus rebuked the demons and would not let them speak. And I think maybe we're to presume not many of the people therefore heard what they said, if any at all. Jesus didn't want those uh, clear statements about his identity being heard. So maybe you think, well, we can forgive the people if they didn't recognise him because they didn't hear those clues. How can they possibly solve this mystery if they don't have the clues? But I think there are other clues to his identity, not just what the demons say. And I think they're really obvious. There are really clear signs that the people at the time should have recognised. So imagine there had been a burglary here at church. And I told you after the service, two police officers are going to turn up because they want to take some statements, they want to check for evidence, and they're going to check for us the building is secure. And then these two people turn up. So I've told you they're coming. It's pretty obvious what their identity is. It would be weird if you were all going around to each other, well, who are they? What do you think they want at our church? Why do you think they've turned up here? I've already told you they're coming, and their identity is obvious. I think that's similar to what it should have been like for the Jews in Jesus' day. The identity was obvious and they were told he was coming. The signs he gave them, his teaching. They obviously had other teaching. The rabbis would teach them in the synagogues, but this was teaching like they'd never heard before, with power and authority. Casting out demons, again, with power and authority. Healing the sick with power and authority. The power and authority that only God has. They should have been expecting a Messiah, and these are the things they should have been expecting the Messiah to be doing. These were the signs. And I think it's amazing. When you read the passage, you think, well, how did Jesus do that? He did it just by speaking. That's how awesome his power and authority is. He speaks words, spiritual beings obey, 
the physical, natural world obeys. People listening hear the power in his words. And that's one reason here we're so committed to teaching and preaching the word of God. Uh, none of us have any power in ourselves to change people's hearts, to change people's minds, to change eternal destinies. The power is in the word of God. So these people who were listening at the time Jesus was on earth should have known their scriptures, should have recognised the signs because God had told them the Messiah was coming and what to look out for. Jesus himself, remember previously in Nazareth, he told the people there he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He was saying, here's the sign and here's me fulfilling the sign. Signs are helpful. I think that's why God gives us signs at times. They're for our benefit. So in everyday life, we can have signs that give us directions or warnings, signs that just give us helpful information. But they're only helpful if you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, they're of no help whatsoever. But again, maybe we shouldn't be too hard on the people at Capernaum, because in contrast to Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, the people were doing a little bit better. There, they had, had initially the same reaction to Jesus' teaching, amazement, recognising the power. But when they were thinking, well, what does this mean about who Jesus is? Someone said to them, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he just an ordinary man like us? So rather than recognise the Messiah, rejoice in his coming, they drive him out of town as they try to kill him. But here in Capernaum, the people recognised something special was happening. And word about Jesus starts to spread. They recognise this is not just another ordinary man. Uh, recognising Jesus as Messiah will come later in the story, but they recognise something special is happening. But as we finish thinking about Jesus' identity, there's a question for you. Who do you say Jesus is? Myth, man or Messiah? And another question we might ask. Well, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, why did he come? The Son of God being born as a baby, why would he do that? The incarnate God, the word made flesh, coming to live among human beings. Why did Jesus come? He had a mission. Thankfully, it was not an impossible mission. It would have been impossible for us, but not for Jesus. And actually, what's more important, it was not a secret mission. Jesus told us and told the people then what his mission was. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Obviously, elsewhere in the Bible, we can read Jesus came to forgive sins to die in our place, to live the life we cannot live for ourselves. But here, at this point, he emphasises the need to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So what is that good news? Well, I think the first thing is the king has arrived. Like I said, they hadn't necessarily recognised it, but that's, if you've got a kingdom, there's a king. So the good news of the kingdom is the king has arrived. The kingdom is at hand. And what Jesus does in the new covenant is open that kingdom to all people. 
That is the good news. And so Jesus travelled around preaching in synagogues and then later he has to preach in the open air telling people this good news. Explaining what it means and telling them they can enter in if they repent and believe. How could people be sure the kingdom was at hand? How could they be sure Jesus really is the promised king? Well, we're back to the signs, the clues, the evidence that back up what Jesus was saying. Casting out demons, healing people, those are signs of the kingdom of God. When Jesus returns again and all this work is complete, there will be no more evil. There will be no more pain or suffering. So driving out evil spirits, healing the sick are signs of the kingdom to come. When Jesus will redeem and restore all things. They're signs of the kingdom of God. So Jesus had a mission to proclaim that message. For those of us who would call ourselves Christians, uh, when Jesus returned to heaven, he passed on that mission to us. He gave us the great commission. And often we feel daunted and ill-equipped to be part of that mission. It seems like such a big task to the very ends of the earth we should be proclaiming the gospel. And I think too often we can be distracted from the mission by our everyday challenges and our responsibilities in life. And sometimes we can decide there are other things we would rather have, like popularity or comfort or status. So we need at times to reset our thinking. We're reminded in Romans 10, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. A logical progression. To be saved, people need to hear the gospel. To hear it, we need to be proclaiming it. We are God's people with this good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. People can only enter in when they hear it. And rather be daunted, we should see what a privilege it is to be called by Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, to join with him in this mission. Take great confidence that Jesus promises to be with us always as we go about this mission. Knowing we don't do it on our own. Not only is Jesus with us, but we are doing this together. And with the worldwide church, our brothers and sisters around the world are part of this mission. There's nothing more important, nothing we should have of greater priority than proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, pointing people to Jesus. Whatever popularity, comfort or status we have, they will never compare to the joy that comes from seeing people enter the kingdom of God. As I said, the power is not in us. We don't have to learn any special techniques. We don't have to have any special abilities. The power is in the message, the word of God. Have confidence that God's word will change hearts and change eternities. So at Crossteach, our part in the Great Commission, we go in schools. We teach young people about the Christian faith. Having confidence in the word of God to change hearts. So we take every opportunity to proclaim the message Jesus has given us. Rejoicing that churches like KCC partner with us in that. So we can actually do that for hundreds if not thousands of young people. But what about you? Where has God placed you 
as we're thinking in our hungries, what is your front line? Who are the people in your life you could be sharing the good news of the kingdom with? So I think we need, like I said, reset our thinking. Let us be single-minded like Jesus was in this passage. Whatever else is distracting us, let us make proclaiming the kingdom of God a priority. So Jesus is the Messiah, and he came with a mission. Part of that was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, and he's calling us to join in with that. I think that's a privilege, that's a great blessing for us. I know some of the greatest joys I've ever known is seeing people commit to follow Jesus. So if you're a Christian, let's join in. It's a great adventure, and God will bless us through it. So we have a, an identity, a mission. The final thing is the response. How are you going to respond to what we now know about Jesus and why he came? I think we see different responses in the passage. Some people, say people, the demons. <laughs> Some people do as well. The demons remain enemies. And I think that's really interesting because they know who Jesus is. They submit to his authority but there's no repentance, there's no entering the kingdom, they remain enemies of God. And I, unfortunately, I think there are people who respond like that. There may be some of you here today, because you're in church, you know all these things, you know who Jesus is, but you are still resisting. You cannot bear the cost of following him. You'd rather stay his enemy than accept his gift of forgiveness. It's not enough to just know who Jesus is. Then we can look at the people. We see, saw last week the people in Nazareth, this week the people in Capernaum. In Nazareth they rejected Jesus. Uh, and the work I do, and I think just generally, is probably the, the response we see most often, isn't it? People listen politely, hear the gospel, maybe have some questions, but ultimately, despite all the evidence, despite the authority of Jesus, people will still reject And then in this passage, we see people who are intrigued. In Capernaum, they didn't fully understand yet who Jesus is, but they were amazed. They wanted him to stay and do more. They wanted more of the benefits of his power and authority, maybe more of the blessings of the kingdom, but they didn't yet know he was the king. But even then, there was a problem with their response. Even that wasn't quite right. Jesus told them he had to leave. I think sometimes we can make that mistake. I'm not encouraging you to do this, but imagine you've won the lottery. Don't play the lottery. You won't win. Okay? But imagine you had. You had this great fortune. I think we sometimes think of it like this. If, if you've got a load of money and you start to share it with others, you know you're going to be left with a bit less. And sometimes I think if we, if we give Jesus to others, we might be left with a bit less. But that isn't how it works. We can give Jesus to others and still have as much of him as we could possibly imagine. He's God, he's without end, he's infinite, eternal. There is more than enough for us all to know Jesus. So people can be intrigued by Jesus, that's better than enemies or rejecting. But even then, something more needs to happen. Uh, we'll see this more as we go through the Gospels, but it's worth saying today to, to make sure we're clear. The right response is to say yes when Jesus says, follow me. A simple call, a simple command, but ones that means so much. Because you can only really follow Jesus 
if you recognise his identity and if you say, yes, I want to be part of his mission. You can only follow Jesus if you submit to his authority and lordship. And following Jesus means you need to be ready to go where he leads, not keeping him to yourself. Again, as Crossage, we go into schools and every time we encourage young people to respond to what they're hearing, believing that the word and the spirit working together, God can do amazing things. That's the part we play at Crossteach. And I really, really would love you to be praying for the young people we work with, that God would do some amazing work. We'd see them respond and follow Jesus. That young people in our community here in Kenilworth would respond and follow Jesus. That young people who are part of our church family would respond and follow Jesus. Let's pray for that, trusting the word of God and the spirit of God at work can do that. Well, another question for you. What's your response to Jesus? Are you still trying to deny who he is despite the evidence? Maybe you've recognised him but you have stayed an enemy. You've said the cost is too high. I'm not going to submit to him. Are you intrigued but you then rejected him? Or still intrigued, but not quite sure you're ready to commit? Or are you a wholehearted follower of Jesus? Because the truth is, only one of those responses will get you into the kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming. Only one of those responses gives you eternal life. Only one of those responses brings the forgiveness and reconciliation we celebrated together with communion. Only one of those responses is the right one. So friends, whatever your response is, make sure it's the right one. It really, really matters. There's no other decision that comes anywhere near to that one. Your response to Jesus will impact your whole eternity. How can anything else be more important? Those of us who are committed followers of Jesus, there's a challenge for us too. Let's persevere. We have a mission to do, and it can be hard at times and it can be daunting, but let us persevere. Let's proclaim the good news of the kingdom wherever and whenever we can, pointing people to the Messiah King, helping people see who Jesus really is, helping people see his true identity, trusting him to do the rest. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your words. I want to thank you so much that you don't leave us guessing that you've made your identity clear. You've told us what your mission was and the mission you've given to us. Lord, we pray for those amongst us who aren't yet committed followers of Jesus. Lord, would your spirit work in our hearts even now? Would your word pierce their hearts, soften them, open their eyes to who Jesus really is? Help them to see they need to say yes to him and follow him with all their hearts. And Lord, for those of us who have already made that commitment, would you give us the courage and the confidence to proclaim your gospel wherever we can. Give us the love you have for the people around us who are lost. Lord, would we love them enough to tell them the gospel no matter what it costs us. And we ask all these things because we'd love to see your kingdom grow and we'd love to see your name glorified.
Amen.